0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you, and equip you to see who God really is, and who you are in Him.
1: good morning center church it's good to see you thank you for being here uh it is a warm sunny day right when it was 37 this morning that's what i told myself (laughs) it's warm in my car i told jack just before i said i'm coming in hot man i'm excited about today so you need to turn to somebody and just say maybe down your row down your aisle just say are you ready just ask them real quick right now one two three just ask them are you ready are you ready um uh I want to start out this way. No no one told me that in my 30s I would spend most of my life in doctor's appointments. Uh, No one told me that. I didn't get a heads up. Like when I turned 30, that that was going to happen. Like I didn't know that my chart was going to be a social media app for me at this point. And it is. Uh, Sometimes I just go in there for fun, just see what are they saying now. Uh, But the doctor's office is such an interesting place, and you've all been there. Like you always wait a little bit too long. They take your weight with all your clothes on and all your junk in your jacket so you feel fat the whole appointment. That's fun. Um, They ask you questions that somebody's already asked you, and then someone else comes in and asks you the same questions. Um, And then there's this kind of moment. There's a moment where the nurse leads you down the hallway to your room. And sometimes this is before a big procedure. Maybe you've had surgery this year. Sometimes it's, it's something really routine, like, hey, I've got this cough that won't go away or or little things but no matter what it is there's that long kind of ominous walk down this sterile looking boring with like generic wall art kind of walk you have to do to get to that room and once you get to the room it's cold it's sterile sometimes what you're about to do in that room will hurt you or it's going to be painful sometimes it can feel very lonely like sometimes, i had to experience today i had a very small thing I was going to get checked out, and I just sat there for like 30 minutes, and my appointment took about two minutes. And it was just like, you're sitting there by yourself. Is anyone coming for me? Like, you may have had that experience. If you think about it, we've been talking about storms and wilderness seasons. Like, in some ways, a doctor's office is like a wilderness or a storm contained in a nice-looking building. Like, it's just, that's the kind of lived experience you're going through. And that moment of... Walking down the hallway, like here's what's going through my mind. I know that what I'm going to experience in, in that room is for my good, ultimately. like they, They're in the business of trying to make me better, make me healthier, and I appreciate that. Uh, I know if I'm walking one of my girls down the hallway, it's for their good. They're going to be healthier. If Lindsay and I are going to an appointment, that that's a healthy thing. But the walk itself, that experience of wilderness and like entering into a storm of life voluntarily, about to maybe finding out something or going through a procedure, it's not one I really enjoy. And if you look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, if you have a Bible, we're going to Luke 4. If you look to Luke 4, we're to, in the very first verse, Jesus enters earth, he is sent there by his Heavenly Father, he has a mission. And he, and he comes onto the scene, and, and he gets baptized. It says the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. All this stuff sounds great to me. It sounds amazing. It's an incredible beginning to Jesus' ministry. He's anointed. Jesus gets anointed by the Father, and the Father says from heaven. They they split open. The sky's literally ripped open, and God himself says to Jesus, You are my son, whom I'm well pleased, like this voice of affirmation and identity. And then Luke Four, verse 1 happens this is what it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and it gets better where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, it 40 days no food, and at the end of them he was hungry no duh <laughs> at the end of them he was hungry Maybe the most obvious (laughs) statement in in Luke 4 But that's how jesus's life and his ministry begins. He doesn't heal anybody He doesn't preach any sermons. He doesn't do anything of major miraculous until after This season of 40 days of fasting in the wilderness fasting in this this wilderness storm now the word used here for uh, wilderness or desert, maybe in your Bible, some translations would say a couple different things, but that word is all basically the same, and it's used consistently through most of the Gospels. It's the Greek word, aremos, and aremos really just means isolated, desert, lonely place. And when the, the Gospel writers think of eremos they think of the Negev Desert. That would have been their context. Here's, a, here's kind of an image of what that would look like. So this is literally in Israel, To this day, this desert scene. And and Jesus would have walked out of Jerusalem and seen something that looked just like this. So when he thinks wilderness, he thinks desert, he thinks uh, lived experience of going through something hard, this is his mind picture. This is where he is during this temptation, during this 40-day period of fasting. What strikes me about Luke 4 is it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, check, I'm good with that. Second part, led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Like, I'm not so good with that. Like, does God still do that today? Does God lead you and I into wilderness seasons? Does God lead you and I into storms? Does God still do that? And when I begin to ask that question, you look at the rest of the Gospels over and over. It says Jesus often withdrew into the Aramos. He put himself in voluntary Wilderness, voluntary storms, voluntary seasons of hardship and withdrawal so that he could be with the Father, so that he could mature and grow in all that God wanted him to be. And you may ask and sit there and say, okay, okay, okay. John, you're saying that this diagnosis is somehow going to be for my good? You're saying that what I'm going through with this kid is difficult and painful and hard as is, you're saying that that could somehow be for my good. Like that storm is somehow good. You're saying that that financial strain I'm under, that tension that I'm living in, the the stretching that I'm feeling, and my resources and with even with my time and my money, you're saying that's somehow a a net positive. Like there's going to be good on the other side of that wilderness, other side of that storm. John, you're saying. That that doubt and that anxiety and the depression that I feel when it comes to my spiritual walk with God, you're saying that somehow that storm is going to be good? Does God still lead you into those places? That's what I want to ask today. And what happens, what can we do in, in a way to step into those seasons actually for our own development and maturity? If you go back to Luke 4, listen to what it says. It says that the devil begins to speak to Jesus. He's fasting for 40 days in the Negev desert, and he goes back and forth. And you may be familiar with these temptations. He says, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus responds with scripture. The devil says again, hey, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the world. You can have all of the earth. I'll give it to you. Like the the areas I control, I'll hand back to you if all you have to do is, is worship me. You have to bow down to me instead of your heavenly father. Jesus responds, Scripture comes out of him. He again says, hey, why don't you show that you have all the power, all the prestige, all the miracles in the world? How could you show that heaven's actually behind you? Jump off this temple. Jump off this building. Angels will catch you, right? That's what it says. And Jesus responds with Scripture. In verse 13, it says, the devil had finished all this tempting. He left him at an opportune time. And then in verse 14, catch what this says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the what? If you have your Bible, in the power of the what? The power of the Holy Spirit. He returns out of the season of fasting and prayer and and temptation in the power of the Spirit. And news begins to spread through the whole region. He begins teaching in the synagogues and everyone was praising him. Everyone noticed this authority, this new found authority that came from Jesus in the wilderness. And what we find here is not just that Jesus prayed. He does that. We talked about that last weekend. But Jesus does something else. He practices something in this 40-day season, a voluntary practice, a voluntary discipline that many of us disregard and barely ever talk about. Jesus practices the discipline of fasting, withholding food from himself in order to connect with God. Like you can't miss the fact that in the Bible, over and over again, and even in Jesus' own life, Fasting, it's an anchor for his soul. Fasting was clearly an anchor for Jesus' soul. Fasting goes beyond a weight loss habit or like a spiritual luxury. You know, if you're like, well, ten years from now and I'm like really mature, then maybe I'll withhold a meal. Like he—he he, that is not the category Jesus puts fasting in. Like he put himself voluntarily into situations where he was dependent on his father and he trusted his father. He expected his father. To provide and to do something miraculous. He depended on God in a new way through fasting. And he expected things. He expected God to meet him in that place in a miraculous way. Now here's where fasting gets interesting. If I can just be honest with you at the very outset. Maybe not for you, but for me, food is a socially acceptable. Like Growing up, I learned that food is a socially acceptable way to medicate stress and your worries. That's what it became. It became a safe place. And here's the thing. I could be your pastor for the next 30 years, and if I just slowly kept running to food, kept going to that as a place to medicate stress and worry, instead of prayer, instead of really trusting God, none of you would fire me. You just let me do it. Because all of us, it's totally acceptable to medicate this way. And that may not be your unique challenge, but thats I grew up with that message. That's a place you run when you have a hard day. That's something you do when you're in a tough season. Like And I grew up with that understanding, and what I want to tell you today is what Jesus teaches us in fasting is exactly the opposite of that mentality. That mentality, my mentality that I grew up with, loving a, a good big bag of Doritos at the end of the day, you know whatever your thing is, I grew up understanding I can control life that way. I can numb life that way, and ultimately – if you run to those things, and you may have your own thing. It may not be food. But if you run to those things, you are promoting what, what Scripture would describe as the independent life. It's opposite of the life in the Spirit. It's opposite of life in the kingdom of God. It's the opposite of having Jesus as your anchor. Because if food is the way you run, food is the place you go, you you are voluntarily saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I I just can't trust you here. I've got to take matters back into my own hands. And, and that may not be food for you. That may be sexuality. That may be Internet. That may be video games. That may be uh, gossip. That may be spending at the mall. I don't know what your thing is, but but fasting is a voluntary storm. It's a voluntary aramos. And, and again, let's clearly define terms here. Fasting, friends, is going without food. For a period of time. Not mere abstinence from other things. That's good. But in the scriptures there's no place you can find fasting. Where it's not talking about abstaining from food. In order to give yourself fully to God. So can I ask the question. If Jesus does this. At the beginning of his ministry. For 40 long desert tempting days. Why have we lost this anchor? Where did it go? If this is so important, literally the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you fast, notice he never says if you fast, like if you choose to, he says when you fast, like it's just a normal part of following God, like that's what we do, we we fast, we abstain from, from food in order to fully connect and depend on God, to heighten our expectations of him, like where where have we lost our way, and I think there's really two big reasons, here, here are two reasons I don't like to fast, I'll give you those, Maybe you maybe you don't have any reasons, but here are my reasons. My, number one, I think for many of us, and this is me included, it's hard to fast. How many of you love an amazing dinner out with your family? Like if someone just was like, hey, here's 200 bucks, go to a dinner. How many of you would be like, please don't make me go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to Donkey or, or Roost Chris. Like please don't make me go. No, all of us are like, yes, sign me up. Let's do that. Maybe for some of you that's Burger King and that's okay, you know? But like wherever your place is that you look forward to going to eat as a family or as a or even just by yourself. How many of you if I was like, "Hey, here's a $500 gift card to Cheesecake Factory," would just shove it right back in my No, John, <laughs> don't, please don't do that. I I just hate eating that well. Like no one's saying that because fasting and that's what makes it so difficult. Like fasting is hard to do. Fasting, our whole culture is built around food. Praise God. I love that. We're going to eat at the end of the service. Like we're having communion today. I can't wait to eat communion with you. Like I love to eat. And it's really, really hard to fast. So many of us, because we like things that are easy, we grew up, most of us in America, consumer culture. Why would I do something that's hard to do? I'm just not going to do it. You know, it's like Michigan State trying to win last night. It's just hard to do. You know, so like – Sorry if you're a Spartan. I know. I just lost somebody. (laughs) I just lost somebody. Sorry. That's about all the football knowledge I have. (laughs) I looked at the score. That's about it. But it's hard to do. Like, we just don't do it because it's difficult. And, And I think Jesus would sit here and be like, yeah, it's hard. He didn't have some, like, super stomach. The guy was, it says in the Scriptures, a man just like we were. We are. It was hard for Jesus, too. But there was something deeper. There was an anchor on the table for Jesus in fasting. The second reason is it's not common. It's not common to fast, and I would add any more. It's not common anymore. For, for thousands of years, the church has practiced fasting. Most, most people grew up, even just a, 100, 200 years from now, practicing fasting on Mondays and Wednesdays. Just a rhythm of the church. It was a rhythm of following God. And that's not to be legalistic or dogmatic about fasting. That's just to say it was totally expected. I mean, just like prayer would be expected in the Christian life, fasting has is, is, is traditionally been expected in the Christian life. Again, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, kind of this like magnum opus of the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to say, here's all the things that make up the kingdom of God. He includes three real practices, prayer, giving, and fasting. He doesn't leave them out. All of them are difficult. But all of them are anchors. There's this amazing quote from uh, John Wesley. I want to read this. He's kind of the founder of our denominations a couple hundred years ago. He says, I fear that there are now thousands of so-called Methodists, people that were, were Wesleyan in England and Ireland, who following the same bad example of entirely left-off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week, they don't fast twice a month. The person doesn't, who doesn't fast is in no more is no more in the way of heaven than the person who never prays. I read that. I was like, whoa. When's the last time I fasted? (laughs) Definitely not twice a month. That is not my rhythm. Maybe it's your rhythm. Praise God, we need you. And it definitely isn't twice a week. Like abstaining from food in order to connect and depend and and raise my expectation level for God, that is just not something that is part of our conversation a lot of times. And here's what I want to say. Here's what I learned as I began to dig into this and it's become an anchor. And you learn this from Luke chapter 4 as well. Fasting deepens dependence on God. It draws dependence deeper and it heightens expectations of God. That's what fasting can do. It can deepen your dependence because you are voluntarily stepping into wilderness, voluntarily stepping into storms and saying, "God, I know that I love to go to I love to run to food. God, I love to to run to a pint of Ben & Jerry's. God, I love to run to out. I love to run to whatever the thing is. But I, I'm stepping into a season where I need. To, I want you to deepen my dependence, and I want you to heighten my expectations. Because most of us live so controlled lives, we don't really depend on God for much, and we really don't believe that He's actually our provider. We think that our job is our provider, where we get our paycheck is our provider, and, and we are confused about that. I'll put it that way. We get confused about that. And Jesus understood at the very beginning of his ministry that that fasting had to be a part of it. I don't know. Could Jesus have gone into the wilderness for 40 days and withstood the temptation of the devil without fasting? Not sure, but he doesn't do that. He goes into the wilderness for a month plus and is tempted by the devil and he prays and he fasts. For Jesus, it deepened his dependence on his Father and it heightened his expectations of him too. Quick poll: How many of you harvested your own grain this year? Just throw your hand up. You harvested your grain. You had toast this morning, and you, yeah, I didn't think so. Like th- this Bible was written in an agrarian society, an agricultural society, and so when you instruct people who have to literally harvest their own grain to make their own bread to fast. Think about how much more of a challenge it would be in in that time and in that day to actually withhold food from yourself. All the food I just worked to grow and maybe they came out of – like you're telling me I'm not going to eat that? Like there's enormous sacrifice because of the work involved. So I begin to ask, okay, that's not my experience. I go to the store and buy bread or Lindsay makes amazing bread. Like what about a technology-driven, podcast-saturated, DoorDash world? What about that world? Like in 2023, like I I sacrifice zero for my food. Like the most inconvenience I have is when the Chipotle line takes too long. I go to the other one. You know, like that that's that's my inconvenience. Maybe you're like in the drive-thru. I was in the drive-thru yesterday, picking up donuts for prayer yesterday. And I was like, okay, Dunkin' Donuts, man. It's a Dunkin' run. It should take like two minutes tops. It was like ten, twelve, fifteen. I was like, they are not making those donuts right now. I guarantee that. Like, what is happening? I got so frustrated. And then God checked my heart when I came to prayer at 10 o'clock. But like like that is our lived experience. And in 2023, here's, here's the challenge I think that we run into when it comes to spiritual life. We think that you simply learn all head your way to maturity. But fasting teaches us otherwise. Fasting uses our stomach, our organs, our body, our discomfort, our mind, our mouth. To anchor our dependence on God. And this is what Richard Foster writes about fasting. He says this. Fasting, more than any other discipline, reveals the things that control us. I don't care who you are. I don't care if your native struggle is food. I don't care what it is. When you fast, God is going to bring things to the surface. He is going to show you, hey. You have been depending on this way too much. Hey, your expectations of me just over time, just slow drift, have gone from way up here to way down here. And fasting, it deepens our dependence on God, and it raises our level of expectation on him too. It raises up our expectation. I remember sitting in a counselor's office. This is right around 2019. And he put something on the board, and he walked through this, this four-step process to healing, four-step process to real change. At the beginning, it starts with wounds, things that, that have been done to you that have hurt you often in childhood, wounds, and those lead to distortions, neg- things that you tell yourself are true. And then it leads to disruptive emotions. Maybe that's sadness or it's fear or it's anxiety, which ultimately result in dysfunctional lifestyle choices. Things that you do in your everyday life that manifest that four step process, that, that 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 pain and that trauma. So we're walking through that. And he's like, Let's start at the top, John. What are some things that you'd put down as like dysfunctional lifestyle choices? What are some things you do that you know you shouldn't do that you should correct? And so I'm not gonna spare I'm gonna spare you the whole list. <laughs> but but one of the things I remember walking out of that office, just like really surprised by, were two words. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. I wrote that down four years ago. I wrote that on the board, and here's what I said to him. I was like, man, in the midst of storms, there's just some things that I run to. And one of those, like I grew up eating fast food all the time, one of those is just fast food. Just love going. It's like super fast, it's easy, it's filling. Like for an hour, and then afterwards, like, why did I do that? But it literally had become, especially in that season for me, a way to medicate stress and anxiety and to try in the midst of storms. I don't, I don't know about you, let me tell you, I like controlling things in storms. I love to try to get my hand on the udder, oh, the, the rudder. Wow. i thinking about food a lot, <laughs> thinking about milk, I guess. Oh, that's awesome. But when you're in the middle of those, I'm not now afraid of what I'm gonna say next, uh, in the middle of those storms, like I like to control things. I like to steer, I like to, to raise the sails, like I like to I like to control things when things in my life feel out of control. Food is a way to control things. That that was for me, it still is for me. It's a way to run to things. It's a way to put things in my control, whether it's sugar, salt, fat, whatever your your thing is. And this week, I was challenged too fast. Man, it was so much harder than you think. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you try this, if you take me up on the challenge later to fast this week or in this season of life, it is not going to be easy. But it will become an anchor. And food for 99% of us is totally controllable. Like it's so available. Again, we don't depend on God for it anymore. And I've seen the contrast like in my own family. So Obviously, Lindsay and I are are, are grown-ups. But we have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old. We have a six-month-old. Now, Lennon is totally dependent on me to eat food besides, like, mystery-flavored suckers at Halloween. (laughs) Like, she can open those. But everything else, like any good food that she ever gets, any real meal, I have to provide for her. And I'm reminded of that every single time. So we gather around the table, and we pray and we pray, and we say, God, bless Lennon's second cheese quesadilla with ketchup on the side. Bless that. Somehow bless that. But I'm reminded, like, she really believes that I provide her meals. Like, she asks me for food. I don't ask any of you for food. I don't ask Lindsay for Like, I can go get food. I can make food. And Eden, on an even grander scale, is totally dependent. She can't even say that she needs All she can do is cry or whine, and I, and I interpret that because I'm her dad and I love her as she needs something. I'm going to provide for her. She's totally dependent on me, and I, th- and I think that's what fasting has the power to do. It has the power, if you embrace it, to break the spirit of consumption, to break the spirit of independence, and what it does is anchors our soul to God. And following Jesus, can I just tell you, as a consumer, living the independent life is an awful way to live. It is exhausting. It is nerve-wracking. It is painful. And there's something that happens in fasting. Fasting, friends, it deepens our dependence. It takes it another layer deeper, and it raises our expectations of God. God, what is possible in my life? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do in my, my mind? What do you want to do in our church? What do you want to do through my kids? What do you want to do through my job? What do, you, what do you have for me? It raises the level of expectations in our life. I love Galatians 5. Galatians five sixteen through 24 is a really, really simple passage. But Paul is writing to the Galatian church, and he talks about all of these vices, all these things that get in the way of really following him. All, all in the way of following God. All in the way of really giving your life fully to Jesus. And you know what he lists? He, he lists all these vices, all these sins, all these broken things. And then right after that, towards the end, this would be familiar for many of us who grew up in church. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. He goes through this whole list. And at the end, he says, and the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control, that's what he says The fruit of the spirit is self-control For me I need that fruit When it comes to When it comes to what I run to I need that reminder That that the fruit of the spirit is not just love It's not just joy, it's not just peace Like the fruit of of having Jesus in the center of my life His spirit is presence in the center of my life It's not just to give me more joy. It's not just to give me more peace. A byproduct of following the Holy Spirit in your life is going to be self control. It's going to be the opposite of impulse, the opposite of running to things, the opposite of medicating things, the opposite of numbing the pain. Like the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that you can submit your diet and your body to God. And that's what fasting has the power to unlock if we make it an anchor. If we make it an anchor. The second thing I'll say about this in, in closing is that Matthew 17, Jesus having this conversation with disciples. He's healing people. He's doing things that they just couldn't pull off. They couldn't figure out how to do it. And they ask him this question. Jesus, how do we do this? Like you're doing this. I don't know how you're doing this. And he literally says this. Not all translations word it this way, but it literally says this kind. He drives out this demon in this, in this person's life. He says this kind will not come out. You're not going to be able to do this kind of miracle except through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. The unique relationship. We talked about prayer last week and the power it can wield in our lives. The way we depend on God through it. And fasting is the same thing. Like there are some things that you've got in your life you are never going to experience breakthrough in until you pray and fast. They're just, they're not going to change. Because God has wired you for dependence. He's wired you to have a radically high expectation of how he can move in your life. And it's the opposite of control. It's the opposite of impulse. It's the opposite of taking taking leadership back from Jesus and leading yourself, leading your own family. And it's full surrender to him. Fasting will put you in that wilderness. It will put you in the Eremos. It will put you back in a voluntary storm So that you can depend on God in a brand new way. That was my experience this week. There were some things God just did in my life. I don't know if maybe He would have done them. But He did them uniquely in that time. Let me just say, if if all we came for today was to drink coffee and to sing a few songs. Friends, our expectations of God are way too low. If all we came for was just to to experience some kind of emotional reaction or hear good teaching or maybe learn something about a spiritual discipline that's like old and forgotten. But we don't walk away with a newfound reminder of, oh my goodness, I am a hundred percent dependent on God for everything. Our expectations are way too low. You know what I found to be true about God? What I found to be true about the church You get what you expect You get what you expect And if you go into a season of fasting Maybe you just do a meal Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a couple days You will get what you expect If you expect God to raise your expectations And and speak through His Holy Spirit to you And make the Bible come alive And maybe heal some things in your life Maybe depend on Him in a brand new way Chances are you're going to get that Chances are you're going to find that And that's really what I feel like the Holy Spirit has been saying to me this week Been wanting me to bring to us And so I just want to ask you a very very simple question Where do you need to deepen dependence And heighten expectation Where is it Where's the space in your life today You just sit there and you're like yeah I've just been trying to do this by myself And I am exhausted I am tired I am feeling at the end of my rope. I am feeling even more out of control when I try to control. And I think that's the place Jesus may say, hey, why don't you try to fast? I want to invite you in to pray and to fast and to bring those things to me. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And it wasn't because the 40 days were awesome and super easy. It's because he prayed and he fasted. He was in the wilderness. He was in the storm. And I think really for us as a church, that's just the open invitation on the table. It's to try that. It's to be a weird group of people. It's to be a weird church that says, that doesn't make any sense in 2023. Why would I not eat? And to say, it's not, again, it's not a I'm not asking you to do a habit. I'm not asking you to lose weight. I'm not asking you to feel like some super Christian or super elite spiritual person. I'm just asking you to do what Jesus has done. I'm asking you to do what he's been teaching me. I'm inviting you in to say, why don't you try a fast? Because when you do, when you fast, God will meet you in that place. When you fast, you become a person of the kingdom of God. When you fast, there's a a reliance, a dependence, a surrender to the Holy Spirit that you'll not experience if you just keep eating your way through your own life. That's what's on the table So I want to invite us We're going to pray together I'm just going to ask you to wrestle with that Where where, where do I need to depend on you That I'm not And, and you may be like I don't know the answer to that But I certainly know there's some areas I need him to raise my expectations I've just settled for life I'm complacent I, I'm showing up to church just bored and apathetic And spiritually just lazy And I don't want to be that way I don't want to go into another month that way Maybe that, that's you So I'd love to pray and then we're going to celebrate and, and participate in communion together So would you pray with me before we do that Holy Spirit we just invite you in We just invite you in We invite you to speak We invite you to move We open our minds and our hearts to you We open the situations That we face to you today God just know That there's some people here Right now, sitting here that just There is an area where they, they know They have been controlling things They have been trying to lead their own thing They've been trying to figure out that kid by themselves Figure out that money thing by themselves Figure out that uncertainty Or that transition by themselves And you're just You're inviting them with your loving in, like, Just tender voice The voice of the Father You're saying, Would you, can you just give that to me? you just give that to me? If that's you, if you just know that that, that's your invitation today, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray really specifically for you right now before we keep going. You just know, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, John. I've got a space. I've got a thing. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? You say, I've got that thing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. God, I just pray your Holy Spirit right now. And those people who just threw their hand up and said, I know, I know where it is. God, I pray that a spirit of dependence would fill them right now. That that John 15 reality, that, that you are the vine, we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. I pray that that thing, that, that reality, that promise would take root in their lives. Not just in the future when they feel like things are perfect. I pray that right now. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, a burning heart. That your, your fire, your passion... God would step in and they would depend on you in a brand new way. And God, I, I know, for, for me, you are raising my expectations this fall. You're raising my expectations, Holy Spirit, of what you want to do, what you can do, what you are possible of, what, what things are, are just normal in the kingdom that I've decided are abnormal. God, I pray, just for, for us as a church, you'd raise the expectations. You'd raise the expectations because not only do we need them, raised but you are worthy of them being raised holy spirit raise our expectation level today how many of you just show your hand up and say yeah my expectations right now are way too low i want to pray directly for you before we keep going say yeah i'm just i'm thinking yeah thank you just thinking way too small about god right now yeah thank you thank you anybody else yeah thank you god i pray that you would raise the expectation level i pray for a fresh passion jesus Fill us with your leadership. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your glory. Help us to understand that we were created to experience the more that you have. We're not created to experience a love that we had 10 years ago. We're not not here to experience just pure, uh, just resting on the fact that we said yes to you many years ago. We want to have a fresh encounter with you today. I pray for a new expectation. An inbreaking Father of Your love and Your passion, that it would take hold. People, people, just raise their hand. God, I pray for them that they would experience Your love and Your power in a brand new way. That You begin to heal things they didn't think could be healed. You begin to restore relationships they thought were far gone. You would actually purify and cleanse minds and thoughts and sin in their life that they thought they were always going to struggle with, always going to wrestle with that they thought just anxiety was a part of, of normal life, that you would raise the expectations in their life of what you can do, Holy Spirit. And I pray for all of us, no matter where we are, if we raise our hand or not, God, that you would use this discipline, this practice, this invitation of fasting to reorient our lives around dependence and expectation. We trust you, and you're worthy of trust. We honor you, and you are worthy of honor. We love you. You are worthy of our love. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand? We're going to respond through communion and worship together. And here's what communion is communion is a really simple practice, again, that for the last thousand plus years, 2,000 years, that Jesus inaugurated as he was headed to the cross. And, and, and communion is a chance for you to take the bread and to take the juice and say, you know what? I need God. I need His grace. I'm not self-sufficient. I need the body. I need the blood in my life. And you don't have to have a perfect life. You don't have to figure out all the questions maybe you have about following Jesus or Christianity to do that and to partake in that meal. My invitation for you is to reflect and to surrender. That's what the scripture says. Examine yourself. Look at your heart. Say, God, what do you want to do in my life? What what are you longing to, to correct? What are you longing to heal? What are you longing to cleanse? when you feel like you're ready, you can come up as an individual during this next song. You can come up as a family to take the elements and return back to sheet. Take them whenever you want, and we're going to worship together during that time. So let's do that.
0: We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit com slash new. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.